Welcome to episode 4 of the Avatar Hour podcast, the show where we discuss all things Avatar The Last Airbender and The Legend of Korra. I'm Andre. And I'm Kayla. And this week, boy, do we have a fucking episode for you. We will be discussing a lot of controversies, but particularly the controversy of the oft-maligned sequel series to the Avatar universe, The Legend of Korra. Now, before we get started, we do want to let you guys know that this podcast will be discussing full spoilers for both Avatar The Last Airbender and The Legend of Korra, obviously. However, you are free from spoilers regarding any Avatar universe comic books and also the Rise of Kiyoshi and the Shadow Kiyoshi books. Before we get into it, Kayla, how are you doing? Um, I'm starting to move out of my dad's house and move into my apartment at school this weekend. So my room is half empty, half full of my own crap <laughs> at the moment. That's fun. Are you excited to move? Um, I honestly, I have more mixed feelings about moving than I did when I was like staying at my mom's house this time last year. So a little different. Um, I mean... Because pandemic. Yeah, that's why. <laughs> it's mostly the pandemic. Um, I mean, Are you moving into a new place or a, a place, place that you've already been? Totally new place. Oh, okay. uh, I'm moving into cool. an apartment complex instead of a house this time. So a different living space. Um, I also haven't met my roommate. I don't know my roommate's name. I uh, don't know anything about her, actually. I've reached out to my apartment complex and told them, like, hey, uh, I'm moving in this weekend. I've reached out to them three different times since like i want to say june asking like hey who's my roommate here's my phone number can you give that to her like and nothing i i don't know her name i don't know anything about her the only thing i know about her is that she's apparently been living in this building for a while i don't know how long a while is a wh- yeah, a, what's a while? Because that could be know. anywhere from like two years to fifty years. There's like this, I mean, like this, that, like literally. I called them the other day to let them know, like, hey, can you tell my roommate that I'm moving in? And also, here's my phone number in case you didn't get it first. That's weird. Yeah, apartment complexes are notoriously known for their stellar customer service. Before we get into the news portion of this podcast, we do want to give you guys a quick thank you. Actually, a very sincere quick thank you because we reached a hundred downloads this past week. One hundred, which. I know it doesn't sound a lot in the grand scheme of things, but for us only been doing this for like two weeks, we're kind of like hysterical about it. So thank you bad. for listening and continuing to like our social media posts and possibly share the podcast. I We really, really appreciate it. Thank you so much, guys. And the DMs. Yes, and the DMs. We love the DMs. Love, love talking to you guys. All right, on to the news. There's a lot of it. <laughs> But let's start off with something good. Korra is finally on Netflix. Yay! And I I was up till midnight last night because I wanted to get like at least a couple episodes in before I go to bed. I was literally that excited. Um, but it didn't it didn't show up on midnight on the East Coast. And I was super upset. Then I was researching it and apparently it only showed up at 3 a.m. on on the East Coast and 12 a.m. on the West Coast. I don't know. But it's here now. And it's, you know, it's it's right there for, for whenever we want to watch it. Um, but I do have a little, little, you know, bone to pick with Netflix over this um, summary. We just have one bone to pick? We haven't even gotten to our second news yet. <laughs> one bone for this and several <laughs> bones later on. But um, I just want to read the summary that they, they gave uh, The Legend of Korra. And tell me if you, uh, if there's anything weird about it. Uh, The summary reads, a female avatar who can control the elements fights to keep her city safe from the evil forces of both the physical and spiritual worlds. 
So is Aang the male avatar now? Is that how we're referring to I him? think we should be calling Ale... Ale. Let's call him <laughs> Ale. I think we should be calling Aang the male avatar now because apparently we have to have that qualifier. It's really weird. I'm like, what? Netflix has had a history of weird summaries. Do you remember when Infinity War was on Netflix? And I think Infinity they War called... Infinity War on Netflix? Yeah, and they called Thanos... I, it was like a eco-terrorist or something or like... A, um, a sociopath. It was some some crazy like that. Everyone was like, "Why are you calling? Why are you calling him this thing?" I mean, I can't he's a super villain. Wording. But if you really want to be specific, he's that one business major that took like two philosophy classes and thinks he knows how to solve the world's problems. That's exactly. Thanos, but purple. Exactly. Why wasn't that the Netflix summary? Yeah, I, um, I'd be more interested. But yeah, um, can we you know make some noise about this and get them to change it because it is just. I mean it. <sighs> In the grand scheme of things, it's not a big deal, but it's also, like, not a small deal. So can we please, you know, how about the next, the Avatar after Aang? Or just the Avatar, you yeah, know? Like, a, like, yeah, like know. the next Avatar, you know? Literally, she is the next Avatar. It's all you really need to know about her. I mean, we like, know she's a woman. She's on Legend the cover of art. Korra. And yeah. And also, you can see her. And also, like... I mean, this isn't, like, 2011 anymore. There's a lot more, like, women-led shows in animation and you know we're in a post wonder woman world god damn it exactly you know oh my goodness yeah like and plus we also like as a society we've kind of started to expand our definitions of gender and our definitions of you know you know us you know sex and things like that you know like we really need to categorize that much exactly but yeah. that's a whole other yeah. podcast guys it's a whole other podcast. So uh, the other bones we have to pick with Netflix, there are several, as Andre said. And this was a bit. This is a big thing that kind of damp dampened the the release of Legend of Korra. Yeah, like this. I mean, this literally happened like at the time of this recording, like two days ago, and people are still talking about it. Was literally in the dock typing out this episode when this news dropped it's still blowing up the world if you can't if you can't you know if you can't guess by the tone of our voices and the lead up we've been trying to give to it uh on august 12th the creators of avatar uh brian konitsko and D michael DiMartino, announced that they will no longer be a part of netflix's live action series um so they posted statements on social media saying um uh, from michael DiMartino, it said that productions are challenging unforeseen events arise plans have to change I realized I couldn't control the creative direction of the series, but I could control how I responded. So, I chose to leave the project. It was the hardest professional decision I've ever had to make, and certainly not one I took lightly. But it was necessary for my happiness and for my creative, sorry, and my creative integrity. Shit. <laughs> and that is a very lukewarm statement when you compare it to uh, Brian Konitzko's statement, who didn't really, I mean, he didn't go for Netflix, but there was a little mm. more shade. He wrote, when Netflix brought me on to, when Netflix brought me on board to run this series alongside Mike two years ago, they made a very public promise to support our vision. Unfortunately, there was no follow through on that promise. Though I got to work with some great individuals, both on Netflix's side and our own small development team, the general handling of the project created what I felt was a negative and unsupportive environment. And after the, these statements both dropped, um, a Netflix spokesperson made a statement and said, uh, a nameless, 
shall I say, Netflix spokesperson, mm-hmm. uh, made a statement and said, we have complete respect and admiration for Michael and Brian and the story that they created in the Avatar animated series. Although they have chosen to depart the live action project, we are confident in the creative team and their adaptation. So what did we, what happened? What do we think happened? What caused this negative environment? What promises were not followed through? What was the point of contention? What do you think happened? I honestly have no idea. I'm really not that great at guessing. I'm going to say that some sort of character integrity or story integrity was compromised in whatever Netflix's vision of what the live action series could be. I mean, from like a writer's perspective, like if you mess with the story and the world that, you know, that like that, you know, you, like you created like you know, messed with it in such a way that it, you know, you feel like you couldn't have that much of a role in it. Like, especially when they made such a public promise to have them involved in high positions on this show. Yeah, well, here's here's the problem, and I'm I'm very scared about this, is because Brian Konetsko said it was a, a very public promise that they didn't follow through on, and one of the big public promises was that they were, go- they were going to cast a culturally appropriate cast. And so I feel like Netflix was starting to backpedal on that. And I think that was the breaking point. I mean, my question is, why do they keep getting fucked over like this? I don't understand. I don't understand how... the second time. I don't understand how, how these these companies and these people work with, with these two amazing writers who created this... A highly successful franchise. They have another show on Netflix too, The Dragon Prince. Like, yeah, yeah. So there's already a relationship there. But Avatar is one of the most successful animated series ever, or else you know probably wouldn't be doing a podcast on it. But why? Why do they? Why do they feel like they can treat them like this? I'm I'm assuming a lot here because we don't know what we Netflix was doing. We weren't in the room where it happened, and. Brian also said that there was a negative and unsupportive environment. So I don't know what was going on. I have a feeling it 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 was probably a cast thing. I also think when when Brian and Mike had these meetings with Netflix, there were probably a lot of assurances that they wouldn't go certain directions, right? I feel like Netflix wanted to take it in a direction that they didn't feel like um was resembling the the spirit of the show because uh, i think they are they are those kinds of creators they are really in, intentional in that kind of stuff and i think netflix wanted to do something different but not what they thought was was appropriate for the show and brian you guys can read their full statements on their instagrams and i think on um michael Martino's website you can read both of their statements in full um i think brian also says that you know, we are me and Brian, uh, me and Michael are both collaborative people. It wasn't a case of we didn't get our way. It was just stuff that we didn't feel like was true to the series, and that's why we had to leave. And yeah, I don't know. And Netflix has really fumbled the ball on this. I mean, if people were hesitant about the live action series before this, there are a lot of people just being like, "Nope, not watching it." We need to you update know? that poll. Because we took a poll for when we talked about the live action Avatar series. And yeah, like, this this is the other thing. We literally just talked about this two weeks just ago. Just talked about it, which 
I don't think it's our fault. I don't think we tip the universe's scales in the opposite direction just by talking about it, though. No, no, <laughs> definitely not. But I would have liked a little more time before it, because now, now it seems like we're like completely doing a 180. I, I'm, I'm obviously not as as excited as I was before. I'm probably still going to watch it, and we are probably still going to cover it. But it totally depends. Like, if that trailer comes out and everyone's white, we're not covering it. What? Sorry. Mm-hmm. That's that's one of the things what we just we just cannot abide. Um but yeah, I just there a lot of people have lost all interest and it's really done a number on Netflix for for doing this. It's still I mean even when like I'm not I'm not talking about when I'm in logged on to our Twitter account for this podcast. It's even on my regular personal account. Yeah. I am still Or just seeing... people people in my life are just like I'm not watching this now. Yeah, people are so like people are really like Steamed up over this, and rightfully so. I mean, rightfully so, because because Mike and Brian were were the tipping point for a lot of people. Yeah, you know, they were my even tipping before point. they left. A lot of people were still very like hesitant about this, but they were like, "Well, Mike and Brian are involved, so maybe it'll be good." Now that they're out, people are are out the door with them. They don't want anything to do with it. Mm-mm. I mean, like, look at what happened the last time they weren't involved in their own goddamn story. Yeah, we'll find out. As in, we already know what happened, but you know, like, I still haven't seen it. I don't know the extent of the the you know the pissing on my favorite t- one of my favorite TV shows. I don't think it's going to be the end of the world. I think it is going to be a very like mid average okay mush of a show. That's just that's just my prediction. I don't think it's going to be great. I don't think it's going to be terrible. But it's definitely not going to capture the same spirit of the show. I can already tell you. Absolutely not. I absolutely agree with you on that. But there is an article out there that says that they have an exclusive on why the the Avatar creators really left the Netflix series. And I read this article and I immediately was like, this is fake. And let me tell you why. The reasons that, that they put in the, the article, this is an article by fandomwire.com, by the way. Most of the art, most of the the points were about there was a, a difference in budget. Um, Netflix wanted white people in the cast, which we already talked about. Maybe that was a thing. Um, and the uh, apparently Netflix also wanted to age up the characters and add more sex and darker elements. Um, so I didn't believe this right off the bat because when when something big like this happens and this random news site comes out of nowhere and says they have an exclusive. And there's no other article to corroborate this, then you can't trust it. Also, Phantom Wire has had a long history of just making shit up and false falsely reporting on things. But I, I've I've seen so many people talking about the reasons in this article, and I have to be like, guys, it's not real. It's not real. Is there a chance that these are the reasons? Maybe. Definitely the white people thing. Sure. But, I don't doubt about the sex and the dark. I mean, darker elements. I mean, the show already had some dark elements. So, you know, it's fine. I guess they want to explore some dark stuff. But, like, sex, really? An avatar? Also, even if they do age up the characters so they can have sex, I'm still going to be seeing 12-year-old Aang. So, anyway. But, I mean, st- well, but still. Okay, okay. There is, not that there isn't sex in Avatar. I mean, the whole thing with, like, Sokka yeah. as a tent and, you know, that whole thing. Yeah. It blows over children's heads, makes the adults laugh. That's fine. But, yeah. like... No, if like, yeah, but never mind, never mind. We're not going to jump into it, something that was made up as far as we yeah. know. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah, but but my my problem is that a lot of people have saw this article and just ran with it. There were there's people on YouTube doing whole videos about it, and and guys, it's it's one article from a news site that has a history of falsely reporting. So just just be careful next time is all I'm saying. You know, trust your sources. There's going to be so much so many articles like this going forward because it is such a hot button topic right now that you know especially like up and coming news sites unfortunately they do tactics like these where they will just make stuff up and call it an, an exclusive so yeah definitely be definitely be careful in the future some of the things that i mean i'll, I'll pass off some of my knowledge i'm a journalism student and uh i literally took a class on this sort of thing last semester it was a media literacy class some things that you can look at to determine like you know the truth in it is one of the ways is like what Andre said is like kind of checking other articles and see if that other things have been written on the same topic, trying to find some similarities there. Chances are if it's there's no named sources, you really need to be careful with that. I mean, yeah. not saying that unnamed sources aren't always they say that they can't be reliable. I'm just saying that if all they have is just one unnamed source. That should definitely raise a few eyebrows. Yeah. And also, if there's no name of the person who wrote it, like, check the byline. If there's a known byline, that's not a real article. You know? So just some, like, you know, media literacy 101 from me. Paid a lot of money to go to journalism school. I might as well share the, share the wealth a little bit. Yeah. The the, artic- <laughs> the article says it, the whoever wrote this, it just says by Fandom Wire staff. So. Mm. so exactly. Yeah. See, there's, there's yeah. my checklist right there. So. I mean, I don't remember every single thing that was on the checklist, but like, you know, that's the ones that stood out to me the most, and I definitely did not pass any of them. Yeah. Let's move on to the next thing that was supposed to be the big headliner of this episode, but unfortunately that break leaving ended up being the uh, the headlining thing over Korra. But the whole focus of this episode is on, you guessed it, The Legend of Korra arriving on Netflix, which you're very excited about because we love Korra. So, on July 21st, Netflix announced that it would be airing The Legend of Korra starting on August 14th, which is today on recording day. This is coming after Avatar The Last Airbender started airing on Netflix at the beginning of June, and Avatar was in Netflix's top 10 most watched for two consecutive months. So, we obviously have a lot of feelings on Korra, clearly. Uh, What are some of your feelings on Korra a little bit? My feelings on Korra are um, that I loved it. I have always loved it and I will continue to love it. Um, no, I I also remember watching Korra live uh, when it first came on. I remember seeing the first trailer for it in a random commercial and being psyched out of my mind that this was happening. Um, but yeah, Legend of Korra for me occupies a, a very different like space in my mind in terms of like Avatar stuff. Um, it It's kind of very easy for me to separate it from avatar the last airbender um because it is a sequel series but it's also its very own thing which i quite like about it and i think it is a really interesting show and for me hits a lot of things that that resonate a lot with me maybe even more so than avatar um because avatar is really is really a, a nostalgia point for me Korra not so much um but yeah, what 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 about you, Kayla? How are your what are your personal feelings like on Korra? I think I might send the pitchforks and torches after me when I say this, but I watched The Last Airbender so I could watch Korra. 
Mm. Tell us more about that. Yeah. So when I was in high school, I was, that's when I started watching Korra and Avatar and all that stuff. That's how I got into this whole shindig. And I was really questioning my sexual orientation during that time. Um, I, you know, was just kind of looking for other people who kind of felt the same way that I did. You know, um, you know, I'm a lesbian. I don't know if I mentioned that before, but I'm a gay. I'm a big fucking gay. Um, and I was just trying to find other girls who liked girls in popular media. And so, of course, I heard about Korasami. And I knew that Legend of Korra came after Last Airbender. And don't get me wrong, I love The Last Airbender. It is, you know, it's a masterclass in storytelling, fantastic acting, visuals, animation, everything. It's like, you know, it's amazing. But Korra occupies a different space in my heart. It, um, it was there for me when I really needed a show like that. Um, you know, I was going through a lot at the time in high school. High school was, you know, a little rough for me, but, you know, it's rough for a lot of people, but especially with a queer person, not really, like, trying to understand yourself in a time mm-hmm. where everyone seems to be having a hard time understanding themselves and finding a show that speaks to you personally, finding a character that speaks to you personally, it is, like, a lifeline, you know? It was a lifeline to me growing sure. up, you know, going through high school. Um, so... Korra is the show that I find myself rewatching. Um, and now I can look at it with a different perspective than when I was when I was 17, 18 years old. It's even funnier is that I was the same age as Korra when she started her journey. And now I am 21 and I'm like about the same age that Korra is at the end of season four. So it's interesting to kind of look back at like the person I was then through the lens of Korra. Because again, I saw so much of myself in her. She was like this more outspoken version of me. I could see so much of myself in her. So an attack on the Korra, the character, an attack on Korra, the show, it raises my blood pressure just a little bit. Sure, yeah. Before we talk about the fandom reaction to Korra, because, you know, there's a pretty hardcore fan reaction to Korra one way or the other. Um, you have to look at kind of how like the show is made. So, uh, Comic-Con 2010, the series was then titled Avatar The Legend of Korra, was announced and originally slated for an October 2011 release as a one-season miniseries. And then, in 2011, the name of the show was changed to The Last Airbender Legend of Korra before landing on the title that we have today, Legend of Korra. The premiere date was eventually delayed to April 2012, and we don't know the reason. And then, after season one had wrapped, Nickelodeon had ordered one more season. Then, after the second season had aired... Nickelodeon ordered two more seasons. As uh, a lot of people know, for those who were watching the show when it was on the air, the show was moved to be exclusively online halfway through season three, and season four was also aired entirely online, with the exception of the final two episodes, which aired on both TV and online. So there was a lot of uh, uh, confusion, and it's it's also unfortunately common for um, TV networks to do this to shows, but... Korra specifically, there was a lot of, there was a lot of uh, confusion. I'll keep it to confusion and, and keep it polite for Nickelodeon. But um, I also have some, I also remember when Korra moved online because I didn't know what the fuck happened. To me, I was watching the first eight episodes of season three and then suddenly I couldn't watch Korra on TV anymore. And I was like, did it get canceled? I thought it got canceled until... I was 
like I think scrolling Twitter or something and saw an article about the last episode. It was like season four, episode 14. I'm like, hello? And I, I had no idea it had moved online. So I literally, literally that day spent the, the entire day watching the rest of season three and then season four in its entirety. It, it is wild to me that it got moved halfway through a season. But I mean, apart from that, there were also like significant budget cuts in the last season. Part of season three was leaked online um, from Mexico's Nickelodeon affiliate. Um, and there was an issue with the animation studios at the beginning of season two. So needless to say, it hasn't been an easy road for Cora. But I wanted to get word from the creators themselves. So I found this interview from April 2015 with Court Organization. And Brian Konitzko seemed to clear up some of the questions fan had, fans had as to why the series was taken online. The interviewer asked them, It seems that Nickelodeon became less and less supportive over the series over time. With budget cuts for season four, a lack of marketing, and then pulling the series off the air and distributing new episodes solely online, did you feel during the developmental process that Nickelodeon was starting to lose interest or rescind support with The Legend of Korra? And then Brian Konitzko replied, We happen to be at the forefront of the issue, and the issue is that the landscape of TV is changing. This was back in 2015. I know that from the outside, even high-level journalists at major magazines and newspapers, no matter what Mike and I say in interviews to the, to the contrary, they might think, the show is violent, that's why it got taken off the air, or this happened, that's why it got taken off, but it had nothing to do with that stuff. Nickelodeon is in, is in a position like every other network, dealing with the fact that people are leaving that model of watching broadcast and cable TV, and we have a show that did really well online. So it ended up being fumbled, but it was meant to be this thing like, hey, this is... This is our show that does really well online, but it got messed up. So it's really a changing industry, a changing landscape. We have always had the support of the executives right above us. They're awesome. And they're just as big of fans of the show as anybody. Was it frustrating? Yes, it was very frustrating. And we wish things could have been done differently. But at that level, you can't take it personally. So what I'm reading from Brian's explanation is that Nickelodeon meant for this to be a, a kind of promotion for the show. Because I know they they aired the finale of season two online and the the ratings on the online was a lot better than the TV ratings and that's why what, what kind of happened and then putting them putting season three online. But do we believe Nickelodeon's reasoning? I'm just a suspicious of big networks and big corporations. Period. <laughs> yes. So no. <laughs> Uh, I have the budget cuts rate raise concerns for exactly, me. Exactly the budget cuts, um, and then like you know also with like Korasami as well, like just how that was kind of treated, how that kind of got pushed into like the background into subtext and stuff. Even though like, I mean you know I know representation is like a long hard fought battle, and we're doing so much better today because of you know trailblazing shows like Korra, um, but. I don't know, it feels almost like, you know, I mean, for instance, like with Nickelodeon, like touting Cora as a, you know, as an LGBTQ person on Nickelodeon uh, during Pride Month this past year, I was mm. like, mm, no. Oh, you didn't, you didn't like that? Not really. I'm kind of happy, but at the same time, I'm like. Corporations and Pride and all of that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. I mean, it, to me, it, it. It's it's weird to see we're going to put your show online as a good thing. Like, why couldn't we do both? I mean, I guess money, but like, 
how how much more how much more expensive is it to show it on TV and also online? Also, you're doing budget cuts, so you're saving money somewhere. I don't know. Yeah. It's it's a mess. And we don't. We're again. We're not like TV execs. We're not. You know, we don't work in the industry. No. We're just two nerds who really like the show. <laughs> we have l- limited industry it. knowledge, but we're 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 just speculating here. Before we move any further, we're going to take a quick break for our sponsor announcement. So we'll see you very soon. And we're back. Um, so we're about to get into the fandom discourse of The Legend of Korra. So because this is a pretty touchy subject, we want to let you all know that we're going to talk about this in a way that's going to be respectable of all opinions regarding The Legend of Korra, as long as they don't perpetuate things like racism, homophobia, and sexism. And if you're listening to this and want to email your thoughts after you're done with our episode, we just ask that you keep them respectful and thoughtful. For the purposes of this discussion, we've compiled some common complaints, arguments, or issues fans have with the show. Some fans went to Netflix's Twitter and started criticizing The Legend of Korra. One fan even garnered a response from the Netflix account itself. So this person said, Aang went knowing in the true power of his spirit side, while I feel like Korra just kind of wanted to punch someone in the face. Aang knew what needed to be done. Korra thought she knew. (laughs) Netflix replied, it's almost as if Aang and Korra are two completely different characters with completely different struggles and completely different issues to overcome in their lives and personality complexes and stories. Thank you, Netflix. That's the one and that's the and saying. that's the tone setter for this discussion. Honestly, love that Netflix clapped back. We're on we're on a love hate relationship, but Netflix is on thin fucking ice right now. Um, but yeah, we're we're just gonna talk about some some common arguments that have been made against the legend of Korra and we're not here to take it down point by point we're just going to talk about them but as we said in that little disclaimer Kayla gave us um if your argument against it is rooted in stuff like racism homophobia and sexism then we will go a little feral on you I have um, fought three people this week over Korra and homophobia and stuff it was a lot it was I am a lot. tired don't yeah. make me do it again well, so let's let's tackle this this first point of contention, which seems to be Korra as a protagonist to begin with. So a lot of people point out stuff um, specifically to her characterization, like her temper, brawn over brains. I've even seen people call her pig-headed, um, punches her way out of every problem. Um, and I want to be clear and say that it's it's totally fine to like not like some of Korra's decisions because I I definitely feel like you're not supposed to sometimes, but you're definitely um, not supposed to. But this is this is what I'm saying. Like when you're talking about this kind of stuff, you have to have like a bullshit meter ready to go, and you can always kind of tell when it's coming from a I hate women place and I just don't understand this character I hate place. Females. Oh, I don't, the female avatar. <laughs> <laughs> and I mean, like, does Kara, does Korra have a temper? And is she more brawny and br- over brainy? Sure. But that's not. That's I, part of her development not... as a character. You start to watch her as the series goes on. If you get past the first three episodes and you see her start to learn from the people around her and start taking different lessons that she learns from each antagonist that she encounters watch a little more of the show please before you start bashing her over her characterization actually watch the whole characterization yeah i think a lot of these arguments do stem from season one 
exclusively and sometimes season two. Um, but season three and season four is really where the magic happens with her character. Um, but yeah, I, th- I definitely feel like it should be taken. Her her character on a whole should be taken from her arc in all four seasons and maybe not just the first couple. I mean, like if you, I mean, like I'm not going to compare this chorus arc to Zuko's. You know, with Zuko, he was, I mean, he wasn't exactly, you, yeah, you felt bad for him, but he wasn't exactly like your favorite character from like the first episode, not knowing how he turns out in the end of the series, you know? But Zuko seems to get a bigger break than Korra does in the first season. I wonder why. Yeah, it's like that thing of people like calling Katara annoying for crying about her mom all the time. And I'm just like, we would not be making this argument if she mm. was a man. Mm. That is essentially the same camp coming from the, the those kinds of arguments for exactly. Korra. Exactly. And yeah. But also another thing I want to comment on with her characterization. I'm going to describe her character again. You know, she's a fighter. She's, you know, strong. She's a, you know, a sharp temper. She, you know, is stubborn. All of that stuff. People would typically think, without knowing anything about Korra, that I would be describing a male character. Especially talking about how, like, muscular she is, for instance, as well. These are all character traits that are typically given to male characters. Sure. And that's why, that's probably one of the reasons why people don't like her is because she has characters. She has traits that are typically given to male characters, and they don't like that. That's a very good point. Yeah. So another thing that people tend to beat Korra over the head with is the fact that she lost her connection to the past avatars. Um, did Korra, I mean, Korra didn't exactly voluntarily sever her connection with the past avatars. It was kind of ripped out of her by Unavatu. This also ties into Korra's characterization. Because I noticed, especially watching from season one and season two, a lot of the decisions she makes, like, for example, challenging Amon to duel her on Air Temple Island halfway through the season, that provocation stemmed from a two-episode manipulation by Tarlock. That whole scene with, with him blatantly paying off the press to ask her these questions and push her to get, get her to do something like that, she was manipulated by a man. Same thing with Unalak at the beginning of season two. Korra, I will concede, is unnecessarily angry at Maka for most of season two. But literally, she literally starts the season having been told that the reason she was kept in the Southern Water Tribe was a lie, essentially. And her father lied to her about what happened when he was in the Northern Water Tribe. People have just been lying to her back and forth and manipulating her. And of course, anyone would lash out in that sort of way. You also forget she's like 17 years old. Yes, she's 17, you guys. Like, she's still a teenager. But the thing also with the losing the connection to the past avatars, you're totally right. I mean, like, she didn't reach into her Rava and take out those, those past lives. I mean, it was literally a traumatic experience that she went through. And it's somehow still her fault. But also the same thing kind of happened to Aang as well. I mean, Azula shot him down and that was the end of the Avatar cycle. If if Katara didn't have that healing water, that would have been it. But I think it's because that problem was solved so quickly, you know, that that people seem to forget about it. I don't know. What do you think? I think that's, I, I honestly think the same. And also like with Korra, I mean... One of the biggest things about Korra's arc is like, cause she literally you 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 meet Korra and literally the first thing she says, "I'm the Avatar. You got to deal with it." And the Earth bends, Fire bends, and Water bends. 
from the beginning, the Avatar is a key aspect of who she is. Like, literally, like, that is, like, she is so excited about being the Avatar. She's ready to go and knock some skulls and ready to help people, like, you know, gung-ho, that kind of thing. And you, as you watch each season, you watch her lose her bending, which is a key part of who she is, how much she loves bending. You see her compete in a bending tournament. And then season two, she loses her connection to her past lives. You know, you watch her get broken down each season as she kind of loses, like, kind of moves away from being the Avatar is the only important thing about me. And by the end of season four, she, you know, accepts herself outside of her role as the Avatar. So, right. you know, like, was it really unfortunate and sad that she lost her connection to her past lives? Yeah. But also from a writing perspective, I mean, that is a, a risky thing to do. Like, that is a big decision that Mike Mike and Brian made, and I applaud them for it because it put Cora in a very unique position for season three and four. She didn't, she couldn't rely on her past lives to help her. I can't imagine what this conversation must have been like in the writer's room to definitely be like, we're, we're just saying goodbye to all the past lives. And it also kind of works with the harmonic convergence thing about how you know, it's a new era that's been, balance has been restored. It kind of only makes sense to have a new Avatar cycle start. I mean, it's a new era with technology, like different technology that didn't exist when Aang was the Avatar. And I gotta say, the only critique that I will have of the losing the past lives, it's not of Korra, it's of the writing. I kind of wish that they kind of had Korra talk to her past lives a little bit more. Oh, sure. I mean, I know she's not really a spiritual person, but like, you know, at least have a little bit more of a connection to her past lives. That way we can really feel it when she loses that connection. Yeah. We, you know, we see it in, uh, you know, in The Last Airbender and all that stuff. And it's really cool. Yeah, but I think that specifically is the writer's depending on you already watching Avatar exactly. and already kind of having a relationship with the with like Roku and Kiyoshi and like kind of knowing who they are already. Mm -hmm. You know exactly. what I mean? That's what I was exactly like. If you if they were able to like kind of explore like see, like talking in the past lives. I mean, think about Korra. Korra fucking loves being the Avatar. Wouldn't she love to talk to other people who went through the same thing she did or something similar? You know, like mm -hmm. you could feel that, and then all of a sudden have that being ripped away from her, have the rug literally ripped out from underneath her. Yeah, risky move. Um, another big argument. I have a particular problem with this one this particular argument um you see it not just with Korra you see it with a lot of female characters Captain Marvel Rey from Star Wars Arya Stark from Game of Thrones Ginny Weasley from Harry Potter it's the Mary Sue the Mary Sue argument is is also kind of hilarious to me because it is this past year has definitely been the argument that a lot of people use and also a lot of people misuse it is now joined the pantheon of terms that people really don't know the meaning of but because they they heard other people use it they're going to use it like i'm talking things about like fridging and MacGuffins. like i've seen so many people say those things are this and i'm just like oh no that's not that's not I, I've I've seen MacGuffins described as like the final confrontation in a story. And I'm like, no. I don't really know what a MacGuffin is, uh but MacGuffin, think like Infinity Stones. Infinity Stones, things in this like objects in the story that characters go after to advance the plot. That's what MacGuffins are. Yeah. 
Like we have to get this thing in order to save the day. Okay. All right. You know. All right. Yeah. I mean, like, granted, they're kind of obscure, obscure terms, but like people like kind of throw those terms around since they went to film school and like or or watched or like read about it or watched videos on it. And, like you know, I'm like actually like, took the time to learn these things. You know. There's there's a nuance to all of these terms, and I, yeah, the throwing around I think is is a good word. I mean, like, I'm always in the camp of like words mean things, you guys. But um, but before before we break down how it relates to Cora, I just want to finally clear the air and give you guys the definition. Please do of a Mary Sue. A Mary Sue is a type of female character who is depicted as unrealistically lacking in flaws or weaknesses. This also includes, like, when a female character is universally liked by everyone in the show, the smartest person in the room, wins every fight, etc., etc. And somehow, Cora has been labeled as a Mary Sue. And the, the term is, at the end of the day, used to belittle a character. And Cora specifically, and I did a lot of research that I, I wish I didn't have to, but I've seen a lot of people... The Mary Sue comes from the fact that they believe Cora has been handed a lot of things in the show, that there are things that she didn't earn or have to work for. Um, I mean, like, so did Aang. But I mean, like, universally liked by everyone in the show. That's not Cora. That is not. Half of Republic City hates her. And and even, like, (laughs) some of, like, the people, I mean, I'm not just talking about, like, uh, you know, like, the villains. Talking about, like, even, like, people that aren't really considered villains, but kind of just people in her life like you know the president of republic city or you know like yeah people don't like cora and i'm not just talking about the fans here i'm talking about people in lynn didn't like cora yeah lynn didn't like cora when they first she first met her like you know so i mean we're losing one criteria there uh uh smartest person in the room i mean it's not that she's not smart you yeah, know? it's not that she's not smart, but she also doesn't act like she's the smartest person in the room. At least I don't no. think so. I can maybe see an argument of how Cora doesn't listen to people's advice. But that's just a character trait. Sure. Albeit, albeit an annoying one, but like you're also not meant to like support it. Yeah. You know, you're, you're supposed to be like, come on, Cora, just listen to somebody. Um, wins every fight. Uh, we're just not even gonna entertain that she one. She does not. Oh my god. Are you? I mean, like, I literally saw like a, a compilation video, and it was supposed to be kind of like inspiring of Cora fighting. But literally, I watched this, and it's like a two minute video of Cora getting her ass handed to her in season four. See our see our last point about that. Um, like, <laughs> I mean, I guess she does win against Unavatu, but yeah, the the Kavira fight in season four, my favorite fight probably ever, um, ever in Cora. The first time she throws hands with Kavira. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Um, so yeah, I want I want to entertain that one, but I I do think these terms are subject to a lot of oversimplification, and to the point that it becomes like a one size fits all, and that's just like not not the case. And this is where I unfortunately see a lot of parallels between the Avatar fandom and the Star Wars fandom. At at the very least, I don't think Avatar nearly has the the same amount of like white incels that are. Uh, that don't like the fact that there's a woman in their Star Wars. But the nostalgia factor for for both fandoms is there. It's just inherently there. And I think it does drive a lot of discussion about these shows. Um, and that's why, you know, that's what we were saying. Ray from Star Wars is classically labeled as a Mary Sue um, for being, you know, all, all automatically knowing how to use the Force, you wield a lightsaber, that kind of stuff, even though she spent most of her life surviving learning how to fight it's neither here nor there we're not a star wars podcast but um 
Yeah, and I also want to say that like the term isn't like innately sexist, but it does become sexist when we sort of like attach it to female characters carelessly and whose accomplishments we deem too unrealistic. And that's where I have the problem with the term. And I don't I don't see Mary Sue as like a feasible argument anymore. It seems like a very outdated thing that I just feel like doesn't have any credence in any sort of conversation about modern entertainment. That's just me. I know people who still do, but I have yet to see it used accurately is the thing. Like I cannot think, I think there was something about like Star Trek that I think that's where the, the term started, maybe. I think it was from a Star Trek fan fiction. That's what it was. That's what it was. Yeah. But I don't know anything about Star Trek or fan fiction, but or it's fan fiction. Um, but yeah, that's that's the Mary Sue argument. I don't know. I'm just It's been debunked, y'all. That myth has been busted. <laughs> yeah, the the myth we are the new Avatar myth. Avatar Mythbusters is a great podcast, by the way. Damn. It's a great podcast name. Um, it's not invented yet. Um <laughs> Yeah, I'm just like, just just think before you call a female character a Mary Sue. Like, would you call them a, a Mary John or a John Sue? I think it's Gary Stew or something like that. Gary Stew? Is, is that the, that's, the, that's what, the opposite? That's what, that's what I found online from like my like minimal research that I've done on the term Mary Sue. <laughs> yeah, and and well, because this is the thing we don't we don't talk about male characters in this way, mm-hmm. like ever. Mm-hmm. The closest we get is to when people are like, "This male character didn't deserve this, or he didn't earn this enough." That's the closest we get to it. But that is normally sort of propelled by the argument that like an outside force in the plot is the reason why he didn't earn it enough, and not him as a character. That's that's what yeah. You want to take this next point? Yeah, another common complaint about Korra is that the world advanced too quickly. Um, that it like you know moved way too far away from the world that was in the last Airbender too quickly, and like traditional, I say that with air quotes, elements of uh, last Airbender were forgotten. I love how different Korra's world is than Aang's. I you know many times, and I'm going to use Star Wars as another example. Star Wars, yes, the CGI gets better. However, mm-hmm. the world that Star Wars is in, the holograms don't really change that much, for instance. The technology doesn't change that much in Star Wars. Yeah. However, Korra's world is different and presents new challenges for the Avatar to face that Aang didn't have to face in his time. I think that's so fascinating because not many times when people revisit a franchise, they don't show how the world has changed since the original story took place. And that's what makes Korra amazing, you know? Mm-hmm. Like, that's a very get, good point. You get to see, like, I mean, like, you get to see pro bending matches. That's one of my favorite things about the new world of Korra, you know? Well, that's the pro bending is, is, has been cited as like, you know, like, look how, how materialistic bending has become now, which I mean, like, yes. Sure, but it's also still like just look at Tenzin. Like he is still a very traditional airbender. And he even says, like, they've they've marred the sacred art of bending and turned it into a game. It's a viewpoint people have. But I mean, like, was bending really that tra- like traditional and sacred? In, like in Atla like sacred is the word I'm looking for. Was it really that sacred? I mean, like Literally the southern the Southern Air Temple episode, Aang showed them a game. Like, do you remember the 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 game with the posts at the Air Temple, 
why would why is no one talking about that that it's that it marred the sacred art of and airbending like, Aang literally became an airbender like master because he invented the air ball travel thing when he's riding on top of a ball of air the air scooter literally yeah. made that really made like you know a game made him into an airbending master so yeah that doesn't make any sense to me but also the star wars point is good i there is like a um like a developmental timeline with like the kinds of like ships almost but again we're not a star wars podcast but i mean guys like when you have people in your universe that can create fire and electricity with their hands of course they're gonna (laughs) advance faster than us but even our industrial revolution was also like 70 years or 80 years let me double check that before i i how long was our the industrial revolution was the transition yes blah, 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 in the period from about 1760 to about 1820 to 1840 so yeah right about the same amount of years so even then even the, my point about having fire and lightning but also that is why the fire nation is technologically advanced in atla far more i mean they are colonizing places and using benders from other nations as labor workers but that that inherent ability is creates new opportunities and of course they're going to create faster i just don't know what people that make this argument wanted did they want legend of Korra to just exist in the same world as avatar in the same timeline i don't think it would make much sense that'd be kind of boring honestly like part of what makes legend of Korra so good is the world like again it presents new challenges for the avatar to face and you know it brings up like interesting themes and interesting points and interesting commentary you know it also makes the world feel lived in like there are actual people living in this world you know Mm -hmm. i mean i mean we were we were getting up there with technological advancement at the end of atla like look at those fire nation airships at the very end those are pretty much the same airships we see in in cora or at least the start of it you know Mm -hmm. Those giant drills, the the hot air balloons, that sort of thing. You know, it's it's there. You know, and I think you had you have a good point. I think a lot of series don't take that into account when they create like sequel series like this. Like they don't take it into account um, the advancement of technology because that is a huge part of societal behavior. Is that we are constantly evolving. I mean, just look at the the technological advancement in the last ten years here. Like it's crazy. You know, exactly. And we have an interesting point from one of our followers on Twitter. So this is at Bison with Arrows. Uh, they wrote to us, Every other avatar was a human learning to be an avatar, where Korra was an avatar learning to be a human. Um, I've seen this point, actually, in a lot of different places. Um, what do you think of it? I do not agree. Oh, you don't? Okay. That's interesting. I don't I don't really agree. She she is not a fully realized avatar when we start the series. And and learning to be an avatar that that means different things for different avatars. For her, it was learning how to be a world leader essentially. Especially again in the age of this highly technological society that we have now, she had to find ways to circumvent these uh, sometimes disastrous events from happening while still maintaining the integrity of a world leader. Also, the argument is flawed. Every other avatar, we don't know about every other avatar. We know about Aang, and we know about Roku a little bit, and Kyoshi yeah, a little bit. Exactly. You know? So that's that. Do you agree with this statement? It's fine if you do. 
Honestly, I kind of, I kind of did, honestly. Um, but like, I mean, with your, I mean, I wouldn't agree with every other avatar. Um, but like, there's a key, I mean, like, also I think this statement could be some of the key differences between her and Aang. Aang didn't really want to be the avatar. And he learned to accept his role as the avatar. Korra, um, wanted to be the avatar. I mean, clearly, like, you see her actions in the first, literally the first scene we meet her, she is the avatar and you gotta deal with it. She wants to be the avatar. She wants to train. She wants to not just train. She wants to be able to use her skills and help people and stuff like that. And that's everything to her. Um, I think a part of, I think part of what makes her art interesting and different and, you know, of course it's what makes her different than Aang is that she, you know, her like acceptance for the role, her love for the role that she's been given but also kind of finding there's more to her than just the role that she's been given by the world she lives in. So I wouldn't use the exact words of human learning to be an avatar or avatar learning to be a human, but I can agree with I agree that she is emotionally stunted, yes, for sure. Especially her interaction, the whole, you know, love triangle with, with Mako and Bolin. Um, while I didn't love that, it was very on track for how Korra would have behaved in that situation. I mean, there there would have been no no one in the Southern Water Tribe for her to have that kind of interaction with, you know? And she does come off, especially when we start with her in Republic City, she does come off as, I'm the Avatar, and you have to do what I say, because I'm the Avatar, you know? So, I don't know. I mean, it just feels like the argument itself just feels kind of like, learning to be a human <laughs> ironically dehumanizes her to begin with so yeah i kind of agree with like kind of the spirit of it showing how different she is from the others but like from not the others from ang from her predecessor but i don't agree with everything that statement says yeah you know yeah. so partially why i watched Korra was because of kurasami which is the pairing of Korra and asami in the show um you know they had to do a lot of subtext with that because you know they couldn't really have an openly queer couple on the show at the time it aired, I think it was like 2014, yep. I want to say, was when mm-hmm. that happened. Okay. Um, and and then uh, Bright, con- you know, the, con- great, the creators of the show cr- uh, confirmed they were, in fact, a couple after the show finished airing. Uh, I promise we will be doing a full episode on Korasami in the future. Um, but yeah, when Korasami was made canon in the series finale, there was a lot of controversy. Lots of people praised the show for taking the risk to show an on-screen, um, you know, sapphic relationship which you know two women on nickelodeon in 2014 which is one year before same-sex marriage was legalized in the united states um there's also a lot of homophobic outcries that claim that they were pandering to the tumblr fandom or pushing a political agenda human rights aren't political people okay just put that through your noggins for me please um yeah well we have a lot of personal ties to this because we are both Members of the LGBTQ plus Yes, we are. Yes, we are. If you cannot tell by our artwork, um, we are both we gay. We We gay, gay, bro. bro. (laughs) Yeah. If we did, like, if we were one of those podcasts that, like, the episode titles are, like, random things that we say during the episode, we gay, bro, would definitely be this one. I remember when I watched the finale in in, uh, 2014, um, I, well, was it 2014? I think it was 2015. I think it was 2015 when I found it, because, again... Didn't, didn't know I went online. Oh, right. Gotcha. Okay. Um, I had not um, come out at that time. Um, I didn't know I was remotely uh, bisexual by any means. Um, but 
when I watched the end, I did not walk away from it being like, oh, they're a couple. I I don't know why. I don't think I was paying attention to it that much. It to me it was just it was just two friends holding hands in a spirit portal going on vacation together because they're not gay. <laughs> I yeah, I just didn't see it until I saw Brian's Tumblr post being like, yeah, this is a thing. We wanted to do more of it. We wanted them to kiss. Uh Nickelodeon did not let us do that. No homo. Um and you know, I don't want to be one of those people that was like it was a different time. But like, if Cora was made now, do you feel like Nickelodeon would be more lenient about it? Well, here's or do the you thing. think it would end up the same way? Here's the thing. Cora helped lead the way for a lot of the queer representation that we have today. So Cora had Asami and Cora holding hands and walking into the spirit portal together. And then She-Ra just finished its last season a couple of months ago. And um, spoiler alert for She-Ra. Spoiler alert for She-Ra. I know it's only finished airing recently, but I don't want people coming into coming into my DM being like, you ruined She-Ra for me. I'm sorry. But, you know, like two of the main, two like uh, lady leads of the show, if you will, confirm their love for each other and kiss in the last ep- one of the last episodes of the season uh, of the series. Um, you know, that, you know, that sort of thing didn't really happen. W- wouldn't ha- pro- wouldn't be possible without Korra. And, yeah. you know, before She-Ra, there was Steven Universe, which is an incredibly queer show. And Rebecca Sugar recently came out recently with a t- an interview with Noelle Stevenson, the um, showrunner for She-Ra, talking about how like they both really could had to fight a lot to get even that scrap of representation. And mm-hmm. it's because of Korra that they started to like, people started to cut animators and creators started to push a little bit more. So Korra was allowed to have two girls hold hands on screen. Okay, let's have our two female leads who we've alluded to having a relationship very subtly. Let's have them kiss in the last episode. And then, you know, if you watch She-Ra, like I'm like I this is I should share the picture with you. My sister caught a picture of me watching She-Ra. Um, oh, I saw it. Cora, I saw it, Nicora, and it's sorry, hilarious. I, I, Adora <laughs> and uh, Katra, like you know, like literally, like 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 whole hands at one point. Just some like you know, thing. I'm like, oh my god, they're letting you. Like you know, I can't. I couldn't believe it. I couldn't believe how gay you're that. You're literally was. sitting at the table and just like your mouth Jaws is like dropped. jaw on the floor. It's hilarious. <laughs> I think I you should post my... the picture on our socials. I was doing my nails i was painting my nails that night and i just i can't believe i'm seeing this much gay right now i was so freaked out and excited over cora i watched you know seven ep- seven seasons of a tv show just to watch two girls hold hands and now i get to see like this i, I am being fed right now <laughs> i am being fed <laughs> can we point our listeners to social media to see the picture Do yes you consent yes. to the picture being posted i, okay. I consent to that i just crop my sister out of it though but you know, my, my, course, it's like course. the camera is like, you know, it's funny because like the t- picture is tilted. Oh my God. It's so funny. We see, it is. Like, it is well and truly funny. But yeah, like I said, I watched like seven seasons of this universe to get that moment because mm-hmm. it was just something I needed to see at the time. Yeah. Um, oh, I always need to see that shit. I always need the gay shit. I need the gay shit to live. Um, yeah. Like I could gush about that all day and how much that meant to me. I think it was a big thing at the time because... For some people, dot, dot, dot. Um, the gays. For, oh, no, no. Oh, the homophobes. I'm sorry. I thought we were still talking about the gays here. No, yeah, the, the homophobes. Um, a lot of people were like, this came out of nowhere, which which started the argument of it just pandered to the Tumblr fandom and was pushing an agenda and blah, blah, blah. Girl, if you really watch 
it is I granted if you are not if you are straight it's gonna go over your head but we know and it, it was I rewatched season four like two weeks ago or three weeks ago and it is a lot more overt than I remember it there are definitely moments I'm not even talking about like the letter writing campaign that they were doing at the beginning of the season talking about like when they get back in the restaurant and Asami like compliments Cora's hair literally blushes. blushes drawn on the cheeks I'm like oh that's it right there <laughs> you know that's it right there what did I wish that there was more of that for the show absolutely but that's where we were at the time. And again, I'm very thankful for it. Cause again, what, what you said about how it paved the way for shows this, this, what, what's the TikTok? It's like, um, this, this bitch walks strutted mama. So Peppa could run Peppa is Shira in this analogy. Okay. So that's most of our, most of the arguments we want to talk about. There's a bunch more that I'm sure we will get to when we actually start recapping Cora. Um, but those are the, the big four or five that we wanted to talk about. Now I want to talk about what we didn't like about Korra. The love square. The love square, the love square, the love square. I mean, like, I think that love square thing was an attempt to be like, they're slightly older older teenagers. Yeah. Sometimes this happens. I just think it was, like, distracting. It also kind of feels like Nickelodeon being like, there isn't enough romance in this season. Can you do something? You know what I mean? Because it was at the time of one episode, a one season thing. I don't. I think maybe, I, and this is not to excuse the writing or anything, but maybe Netflix was like, or not Netflix, Nickelodeon. Have I been saying Netflix this whole time? Nickelodeon. I mean, Nickelodeon was maybe like, can you make the romance a bigger part of it? And I think that's probably what happened. But I think, but I think that's a universally disliked thing for the fandom that like. And it's not as bad as I remembered it when I rewatched season one a couple weeks ago, but it's it was also just like scrolling on my phone the entire time. But I don't know. Along with the love square, one thing that I wish Cora did, and I I don't compare Cora and At Love very often, but on this particular point I will, is that I wish there was more overall focus on the friendship between Cora, Bolin, Mako, and Asami. I really wished we got more of that sense of these are best friends trying to save the world, which is really there in Atla. And I think that's where most of the heart comes from. I think because Korra, Bolin, Mako, and Asami spend so much time apart, it's hard to feel like it's a cohesive effort that these are just a bunch of friends trying to fight this bad guy. And it is, it's not a, it doesn't detract from the show for me. It's just like in terms of like, what could have been like what potential is left i feel like if there was a little more push on the friendship but i'm just a sucker for friendship a tv show that also kind of ties in with the fact that like i also wish the show took more time to flesh out the characters around cora there's development here and there for some ancillary characters but i just wish there was more of it overall i know that they didn't have like 22 episode seasons like atla did to do this but sometimes i do wish that we got a little more with with Lynn or a little more, especially with Mako. I think Mako gets the short end of the, the stick, stick for yeah. a lot. Once they kind of had his arc with Korra, it was kind of like, what do we do with him? We'll, him <laughs> like, we'll just we'll just throw him in a detective position. Give him something to do. Let him run. <laughs> yeah, and I, I think that, w- that problem would have been solved if they knew, again, if they had four seasons at the very beginning. I think they would have put Mako in a different position as a character, but... 
Yeah. And my last point about what I dislike about Korra, and this is also pretty universally agreed upon, is that season two is a bit of a mess. Um, it's very confusing in some areas. The finale, while I like watching it, um, is also very confusing. I don't understand what's happening, but I like it anyway. Um, There's some like, really good moments in the season finale. There are really good moments in season two in general. Mm-hmm. There are really good moments. The beginning episodes, I think, are awesome. I think the beginning of season two is also pretty good. It's just like the middle with like the knuck tuck thing that I don't really care about. And I'm also always kind of annoyed by. Um Lost in the name just annoys me. Yeah, I mean, like, also people say the there the, that season two was the whole animation mix up. Like they had different studios doing it. I don't know if it's because I don't know a lot about animation, but I can't see it. Can you see it? The first how the first couple episodes are like not as not as good in terms of the animation quality because I can't see it, you guys. <laughs> I don't either. I mean, I'm also just like wasn't really paying attention. I'm not saying it's not there. I'm not trying to sweep it under the rug. I as just I think it's just because I don't I don't have an eye for that kind of thing. If if you want to send me like screenshots and like comparison photos, do do what you will. I just don't see it. Maybe I'll see it when we do it for the show. But it was just uh, just never a thing. That's why when people are like, yeah, the first couple episodes, the animation is super shitty, but the rest of it is fine. I'm just like, is it? Is it? Shit? I also don't know what what shitty means. Like, what's wrong with it? Like, the 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 drawing, the animation itself. I don't know. But those are my those are my points. I mean, albeit not a lot of things I disliked about Korra, and maybe there maybe some new things will pop up again once we we talk about it on the show. But yeah, yeah. I gotta say real quick though, um, on the topic of like the friendship, like you know they call like the core friend group in Avatar the gang. Some people call it the crew in Korra, spelled with a K. Um, I gotta say, though, when it comes to each of the individual characters, like, if you pair up, like, Asami and Korra, they work really well together. Duh. Oh, Uh, yeah. But also, there's, like, Korra and and Bolin's characters, and then, like, you know, Asami and, you know, Asami and Bolin working really well together in season two, and then Mako's just there. No, I'm kidding, but Mako and Bolin's relationship actually is really sweet, so I like their relationship. I do love their relationship. But like, and I and I do love that episode in season one where where they're all like being Batman in Republic City and fighting the Equalists. I loved that shit. I just wish there was more of it overall. Yeah, exactly. The big thing that kind of ruined it was like the not ruined, but like impacted it was like the love square or whatever shape we're doing. Because let's be honest, that was a kind of a tangled web right there. Um, and you know, separating them in season three, for instance, I think they left a huge dent in it. You know. Yeah. I think, well, I think it does, that sort of dynamic does come back a little bit in season three. Um, when they're in that, like, motel room at the Misty Palms Oasis waiting for the Red Lotus. That, I love that. It's just because they just, like, the dynamic between all four of them is really great. Um, so there, it is, like, you know, kind of spread out. And, of course, they all fight together at the end of the show. But, again, I just wish it was more present throughout the show. Is there anything else about Gore that you, that you disliked? Nothing that hasn't already been said that I can think of. So we're, yeah, we're kind of on the same page about it. Yeah. Do we think there are things that Korra did better than Avatar? I liked, I think the world is more interesting in Korra than Avatar, personally. Interesting how? Because, like... What specifically to you stands out? Okay, so, for instance, like, the use of bending combined with technology that we recognize, like, cars, Mm -hmm. you know, and, like... 
you know, seeing bending in a world that looks a little bit more like our own. Like, usually when you see magic and, like, fantasy things, they usually take place in, like, you know, some sort of medieval times-esque, you know, area. And I'm not saying that fantasy doesn't exist in, uh, you know, other time periods. But sometimes I think some of the best, like, some of the books that I've enjoyed and, like, movies that I've enjoyed. Like, for instance, I'm going to use um, The Mortal Instruments as an example. I'm going to sure. use um, the Clockwork uh, the Clockwork Angel series. It's three books. You mm-hmm. read that's so much better than the original series. But I liked how it integrated, like, the magic of the Shadowhunters with the, uh, you know, like, Victorian London type thing. Yeah. Um, and I liked how Cora incorporated magic with like a 1920s style setting. You get to see people with magic fight like fucking mecha tanks and stuff. Literally like the last like episode of the season involves fighting a giant robot, mm-hmm. you know, with magic <laughs> slash superpowers, yeah. you know? Mm-hmm. I just think it's more interesting for me because it's just different. It's so different when you have a fantasy setting and you get to see like technology like that looks that kind of looks like our own almost in it you know i just think it's more fascinating to watch than i'm not saying that avatar's world doesn't isn't original and like because it's obviously based off of a different source set than a lot of fantasy that we that that makes that's popular like game of thrones or like you know, uh, The Witcher, all kind of the same set of stories, and they take it off of different things for Avatar. But mm-hmm. for Korra, I just like the integration of bending and technology and culture. It was so fascinating to see that. I absolutely adored it. I think, and this is where people are really going to come for me, I think normally when I'm given the option of what I want to rewatch, I usually tend to go for Korra. Me too. Part of that is because I've seen Avatar a lot, and I don't remember Korra as as clearly as I do Avatar. Um, but also, I think it's got an advantage for me because I just love the idea of having this established world and then writing another story that takes place in that world. I th- That, to me, is the best shit ever. I love that shit. And it doesn't happen a lot. But for Korra, I think the slightly the slightly mature tone more a little bit than Atla works for me personally, at least what I enjoy personally in my TV shows. Not to say Avatar was childish by any means, but it, it does take a slightly more mature pace to it. I mean, look, um, at, season, look at like the finale of season one. There's a murder-suicide. And oh, then in like yes. season three, the deaths of the Red Lotus members. Minghua with the freaking like lightning and yes. Gazan straight up committing suicide. And well, I'm, like, not even, I'm not even talking about like the instance, like the murders, like the, like the on screen. Guys, I think about murder, okay? I just think about murder first. I have a problem. I think I mean like more like the emotions feel more mature to me. The you emotions see, like, of each when character. You see depression depicted accurately on screen. You like, see yeah. struggle with PTSD and depression. Not that you don't see Aang or any of the other characters in Avatar, uh, you know, struggle with those things because, you know, they're kids at war, you know? But, you yeah. know, it's like, I mean, for Korra's say, you know, in Korra's sense, like, I don't know, it's just explore a little bit more deeply with, like, depression and things like that. Like, again, as someone who has depression and anxiety, like, seeing that kind of like seeing someone struggle with it and seeing the same kind of symptoms that I exhibit sometimes. Mm-hmm. I really liked that. It was really important to me then. It's just as important to me now. Yeah. And I think because the characters are a little closer to our ages, I think it resonates more with us. There you go. Um, 
Yeah, especially when the how the show tackles uh, mental illness. Again, Atla does the same thing, but it handles it in a very different way. Um, but yeah, I think I think that works for me. I think the music for Korra is different, and I do think it's better than Avatar's score. Um, and that is kind of I'm not gonna say Jeremy Zuckerman got better for Korra. But there is an evolution to his writing that changes. And I do like the different color palette, for lack of a better term, he used for Korra. Because it doesn't doesn't really sound like Avatar's music, which is fine. There are there are similar themes used, especially like the Avatar theme is, is used a lot in Korra, which I love. I think when they go back to Bossing Say, um, I think the Dai Li uh the, their music gets a, another callback in Korra, which I I, I just love. Um, but I do, again, I, I really do prefer the music for Korra more than Avatar. And also, of course, the bending and the fighting in Avatar and uh, Korra, there is just a fluidity to the animation for the bending and the choreography and the design of it and the the attacks just like feel i noticed with with cora there is a more emphasis on impact and yeah. lighting lighting specifically the fire bending in cora looks immaculate and i love it and it looks great in avatar but again it's it's also because you know it, technology in our world has advanced to the point where we can we can animate those things better and and make it feel more real but there's the design of just all of that. I love all the bending fights and I can't literally cannot wait for us to end the podcast so I can go to Netflix and watch some bending fights from Korra. Another thing I loved about Korra is that we get to see airbenders again, which is great. But like, yes, I liked seeing an airbender villain. Yes. Like, I remember when I got before I watched Korra, um, because like I think I was in the thick of the last Airbender. I'm like, well, good thing the Air Nomads were so peaceful because you know, like air. I mean, you can be taken away from water, you can be taken away from fire, you can be taken away from the earth, as you see with all of the members of the Red Lotus being locked up in season three. You can't run away from air. And also, I was thinking, could an Airbender bend the air from someone's lungs? And then I watched season three and I'm like, oh, they can't. I got my wish. It was very fucked up, but thank you, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> but um, kind of going off your point on like music, I meant to comment on that. Um, I am not a composing uh, student like you were. Um, obviously, I don't know that much about scores and stuff, but I do know about how they make me feel as someone mm-hmm. who doesn't know much about like specific things in music, but I do know how music makes me feel. I got to say... I tear up at the end of The Legend of Korra, not just because I'm emotional over Korasami, because trust me, that is a part of it, but just the way the music like swells towards the end, like, yeah. and you can also, it's like, the, it's, uh, you know, it's the same music throughout the series. Like, it's, you know, it's like a kind of a thing that keeps the episodes together. Like when you open the episode, the music's kind of the same or when the music ends, it's the same. Um, Just kind of like that feeling just, it was, made me tear up you know because i'm thinking like this is like one of the last times we'll see this world i don't know what else they're going to do next for like what's next for this universe with like what comes after cora if there is going to be something that comes after cora mm-hmm. but you know just like that kind of feeling because of that music i do not get the exact same feeling from the um last airbender so far 
Again, I'm rewatching yeah. it for the first time in a long time, so maybe I'll have a different opinion on this. But as of right now, the Legend of Korra score just evokes something differently in me. Uh, that that music for the final Agni Kai between Zuko and Azula though does make me tear up. I will say, I think the music the the music the way it's written for both shows it is such an inherent it's a character in its own in its own right. There is there is such a unique quality to both of those scores that is inherently Avatar, which I quite love. What what makes me tear up in Korra is um the music in the final scene of season three of the um of the airbender uh sort of ceremony that they did for Janora. Um and I'm getting chills just talking about it now because I can hear the music in my head, but man, what a fucking cue. Like Jeremy Zuckerman does not get the <laughs> the recognition he deserves. Also I should have mentioned this earlier, but I don't know do you think he's going to leave the live action series now? I don't know. Let's just keep our eyes and ears. I know we just took a hard left turn, but it, I just realized <laughs> that we didn't we didn't mention that. Huh. Maybe we'll see. I mean, keep, I mean, if you want want to stay, you know, get get that Netflix money. But mm-hmm. yeah. So you know, we kind of discussed just about everything under the sun when it comes to Korra, and trust me, we're not spent yet. We still haven't even gotten <laughs> to the recap episodes of Korra. And maybe some things will change as to how we feel and maybe some things from, uh, you know, how, uh, you know, how we feel, what sort of opinions we have on different things are going to change as we watch the show again um, and, you know, watch it from like more of a critical perspective, you know, kind of watching it instead of just in, as a casual watch or just trying to get, you know, trying to take a break from life as someone who's like trying to actively analyze the show. Um I'm excited to see what kind of things, if anything, changes as we dive deep into Korra. But that's not going to be for a little while because we still got The Last Airbender to keep watching. So we'll get back on that next week. But something I wanted to talk about, which, um, you know, you cannot, I mean, like, when it, partially what made this podcast happen is because of Korra and Avatar being added to Netflix. With this pandemic, a lot of people are finding more free time to watch shows on Netflix because, let's face it, the world is a very scary place right now, and we're constantly exposed to it because we're at home. And the only thing we one of the one of the things that we one of the things that we do all the time is look at our phones, and look at our screens, and they can be a place of comfort and a place of you know pain, I guess, fear. So. What makes Korra an important show to watch right now? I remember, there's, I mean, like, I remember, like, people are asking, like, you know, Avatar's an important show to watch right now, but so is Korra. So, one of the things that I think people, one of the biggest things I don't think people like about Korra, the character, and Korra, the show, is the change. This show, at its core, is about change. Their third season, I think it's the third season, is literally named Change. Mm-hmm. The world has changed since The Last Airbender, and the characters from it are not at the center of it anymore. Like Toph said, some of these guys leave it to the kids. We need a show like Korra right now because our world is going on going under one of the biggest shakeups in recent memory with this pandemic. And as much as we don't want to admit it, things are never going to be the same. And that'll result in some good and some bad things in our culture. And people keep talking about getting back to normal. Oh, when things get back to normal, I'm going to do this, 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 and this. That normal doesn't exist anymore. We've been through so much change since March when everything shut down. 
as someone who's, you know, entering her 20s right now, I'm 21 years old, I turned 21 in January, and I'm at the tail end of my college career, so I have another year of school after this, and then it's off to the real world. I really resonate with Cora almost just as much, if not more, than when I was in high school, when I was also undergoing a great change in my life, in my personal life. I really resonate with her story now and how she's adapting to this rapidly changing world that she lives in and the rapidly changing world that we live in now. The show and the character, they both tell us how to take the lessons from our past and how to move forward from here into a new time in our world's history. So, to any of the naysayers out there, or the people who don't think that Korra is just as good as The Last Airbender, or those who are nervous to start Korra because you don't want to lose whatever joy you have with The Last Airbender because things are different in Korra. I say give Korra a chance. Change is uncomfortable. We all know that. Our entire lives are just uprooted a few months ago. But change is inevitable. And you might find something good out of it, you know? I think we found that we're a little bit more connected now than we were before. I mean, this podcast wouldn't exist without the pandemic, you know? I mean, obviously, there's a lot of horrible things that are happening, but try to find (laughs) some joy, you know? I'm going to leave you off with this quote from Uncle Iroh. Uh, Sometimes life is like this dark tunnel. You can't always see the light at the end of it, but if you keep moving, you will come to a better place. And I have another quote to say from him from when he's in Legend of Korra. If you look for the light, chances are you can find it. But if you look for the dark, that is all you'll ever see. So, watch Korra. I think you'll find it a comfort and a good mirror to the world that we're starting to live in right now. Work. Work. (laughs) I love that. Yes. Fuck yeah. Amen. Welcome to Avatar Church. All right. I love that. I love that. I want to, I don't know how I'm going to follow that up, but (laughs) I want to just say it has been really fun talking about this with you. And I really hope that we have, you know, laid the groundwork here on Avatar Hour for a very safe place to talk about any sort of opinion you may have for both Avatar and Korra. And I just want to say that I've, I've leading up to this, I have been planning this doc for hours on end almost every day because I was so scared of going into areas that that we either didn't need to or it would just be a black hole of us screaming at you guys. And that's not what we wanted to do. Um, and literally have not spent so much time on a Google doc. Jesus Christ. Uh, it was it was it was totally worth it. I love talking about this. And I just want to, you know. I want to point out that the arts and TV shows and movies, if you're going to talk about it, talk about it to have a discussion and not to tear someone down. Because I watched a, I want, I'm not going to say whose video it is. I did watch a video this week um, of someone defending Cora. And while I agreed with this guy's points, I, I was so turned off by, the the very it was like a superiority complex i think like i think the moment that person took a 
you didn't um, like it because you didn't understand it. I think that's where my brain shut off because I don't think that's where we need to start in terms of like having a discussion about these kinds of things. I think we're just all at a table talking about what we liked and what we didn't like in a very respectful way. And maybe there will be some bickering here and there because as you can probably tell by listening, we hold these shows very near and dear to our hearts and we try not to let our emotions get into the mix of it, but it's, we're humans. You know, we, 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 it happens. You said it's like five minutes after my emotional monologue. Like, (laughs) I know, I know. And that's what I'm saying. I mean, like negative emotions. Gotcha. Gotcha. Um, but yeah, I'm just all that to say, if you are going, if you've just watched Korra and you love it or you hate it or you're in between and you want to talk to people about it, just make sure it's a good discussion and you take something away from it. You know, there's like Kayla said, it is a very dark and scary world right now. We don't need to add to it by having very unproductive and negative conversations about things that we love or not love, you know? At the end of the day, just be nice to each other. Cool. This really is Avatar Church. I love it. Um, <laughs> so now we're we're at our new segment of the show that we introduced last week, Fandom Corner. With the resurgence of popularity in The Last Airbender and Legend of Korra, there has been an increase in activity on social media for fans of the show in the form of memes, fan theories, and fan groups. So every week, we'll be discussing something that caught our eye, and we have a really interesting one for you guys today. This particular theory about Princess Yue has really been making the rounds on social media. And by the way, this is a tweet by at LOKKORA, um, and... The tweet reads, thinking about how Yue was probably supposed to be the Avatar if the cycle hadn't been halted for a hundred years, which is why she needed the moon spirit to live because she didn't have the Avatar spirit. What do you think about this, Kayla? I admit when I first read it, I was kind of like, you know, like, what? You know, mind blown type of thing. I can see how that might fit in. Uh, I'm not sure if that's how the Avatar cycle works because, you know, the hundred years. Um... We've seen the Avatar cycle exist for like 200 years. You know, like, uh, for example, like Kyoshi lived to be like 200 something years old, I think, according to her Wikipedia or something. Or, yeah, like a, a single lifetime. In the yeah, Avatar that's cycle. what I mean. Sorry, I got yeah. it mixed up. Um, that's why, that's, that's why I have some doubts because Kyoshi lived to be like 200 something years old and was the Avatar for that long and all that stuff. So, like, also when it comes to like, the Avatar cycle, like who gets to be the next Avatar type thing, it seems like a completely random thing and not like a complete predestination type thing. But that's like Ooh, a you whole. Just, you just opened life. a. You just opened a whole can of worms with that. Yeah. I don't. I don't know. See, when I saw this theory, I was like, "Ooh, could work. This is interesting." But when I read it again, I was like, "I don't think the Avatar cycle was halted by still, Aang going in the iceberg." Still alive. I think it was literally a a destiny thing. I think. I see. I think Rava does choose who she goes into. Because I think, for one thing, their their spirit of whoever she goes into has to be receptive to the Avatar spirit. Like, there has to be something inherently good about that person. There there has to be a certain amount of light, I guess you can say, if we're we're doing the whole light and dark, good and evil thing. But I don't know. I think it's cool to think about how Yue could possibly have been the next Avatar, but... I don't know. It does. There's too many things that that don't add up. It's a cool theory. Oh, absolutely. I will not bash this theory whatsoever. I appreciate the thought that went into it, and like, you know, it's cool. It's a cool theory. My thing is though, like, does the Avatar cycle 
if we're going by a metric of like 100 years, does the Avatar cycle like overcorrect itself a little bit? Like, because we know Kurik died when he was like 34 and Kiyoshi was like 200. Do you think Kiyoshi lived that long because her past life didn't get to live that full lifetime? Maybe. Uh, I'm not great with answering these kind of questions. <laughs> and like there's some also theories. You know what? Never mind. I'm not going to say these theories because that would be like another hour on the Avatar hour. So <laughs> we're at the Avatar two hour probably at this point. <laughs> hour and a half. Hour and a half. Yeah. Yeah. So, well, that's been our fandom corner. Uh, you know, if you have anything interesting you want to share on the podcast, we want to hear from you. You got any memes or interesting fan theories or hot takes or whatever. Feel free to discuss it in the show. You can send it to us at the Avatar Hour Podcast at gmail.com. Our social media handles are the Avatar Hour Podcast on Facebook and Instagram, and Twitter is at the Avatar Hour. You can also follow it. Twitter is Twitter's at Avatar Hour. Avatar Hour. I'm sorry. I messed that yeah, up. It's fine. Twitter's at Avatar Hour. I'm sorry. Uh, if you'd like to also follow us and stay up to date on what we're doing during the week or, you know, watch, look at an occasional meme that we retweet or make ourselves, uh, you know, share your opinions in our fandom polls or you just want to know when the new episodes drop, you can follow us on all of those pages. And if you'd like to follow us personally, you can find me on Twitter at Kayla underscore underscore Gagnon. And you can find me at Hey, it's underscore Andre. And that's it. That's, that's our, our episode. <laughs> Thank you guys so much for listening again. If you if you want to talk about what we talked about in this episode, we just ask that you keep it civil and respectful. We would love to talk, especially especially this, we would love to talk to you guys about because I think we talked about a lot of things and I'd love to hear differing opinions or agreeing opinions. Either one will do. All right, guys. Just be nice. Just be nice. Just be nice. All right. We'll see you next week. Goodbye, everyone. See ya.